Hey, Miles. Hello. What do you call a stunt rider from the 1200s? Medieval Knievel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had to think about it for a second. What do you call a cat when a cat is doing crazy stunts? What? Percor. <laughs> Percor. Percor. Um, did you know that I do all of my own stunts? Unintentionally, of course. But I'm... <laughs> that's all i have for you okay <laughs> i thought those were funny <laughs> those were really fun did you like them i did did they make you cackle they did giggle internally oh <laughs> <laughs> just kidding no those were good out of shame you're like oh geez is this evil knievel you're talking about it is <sighs> okay cool we have a lot to cover so we'll get moving I will, but Just before kidding. we jump into it, is there anything you want to talk about before we do? Um, no, not really. A thought popped into my head, actually, um, while I was putting Harper down for a nap. Did it hurt? Um, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's that song? I always ask you for the title of it, but it's like, um, do you ever get a little bit tired of life? What's that song Dumb called? Little bu- or Numb Little Bug. Yeah, Numb Little Bug. So like... I think that song's catchy, and, like, I wanted to, like, look at the lyrics one time, but I couldn't remember. I'm, like, I remember the gist of it. So I started typing in, like, tired of life and, like, <laughs> happy but don't want to die. And, the, and it was I just typed it into Google, and then, like, the first thing that popped up, I'm glad they do this, but, like, the first thing that popped up was, like, are you okay? <laughs> Basically is what <laughs> I was saying. Do you need help, Yeah, sir? and it was, like, it gave me a number for, like, a, a therapist line. That or like, is so funny. <laughs> Anyway, that doesn't have to do with anything at all, but it was just something that popped in my head, like I said, while I was putting Hoppa to sleep. That's hilarious. No, for those <laughs> okay. of you who don't know that song, it was really popular on TikTok. A TikTok, TikTok creator made a song that was basically like, you know, do you ever hate your life, but you're also like, you still want to live, you know, whatever. And a lot of people are like, yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> so it went viral. And that's the song I was talking about. It is catchy. Numb little bug. Numb little bug. I don't remember who I'll probably, sings it. I'll probably ask you again who's um, what the name of the song is. <laughs> yeah. In the future, but oh, that's a good one. I'm yawning. Oh my gosh. Um, so we always talk about our child on the podcast. So let me just tell you what she did last night at 4 a.m. She comes into our room, wakes us up, and I sit up and I'm like, "Okay, Harper, I'll take you back to bed." And she's like, "No, Dad, Dad." And Miles is like, "Do you want Daddy to take you back to bed?" And she's like, "Yeah." Mama, sleep. <laughs> so, so she funny. directed me to go back to bed, and I was like, aye, aye, Captain. I went back to sleep. <laughs> no complaints here. <laughs> no, it's it was, just funny. It's fun. I like being fav- the favorite, but it does have its downfalls. Uh, 3 a- 4 a.m.? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not for me. No, but... Yeah, life is good. Our child is good. Our future child is also good. Yep. Ta-da. Staying healthy. We get an ultrasound on the 1st of mm-hmm. September. Yep. So we'll do our anatomy scan then, the 20-week anatomy scan. We'll get to see her cute little skeleton face. Because <laughs> we all know they look super creepy on ultrasounds. And confirm the gender. Mm-hmm. Because even though the blood test is supposed to be like 99.9% accurate, there's also that 
0.01% chance that my blood just masked it, but I doubt that it was a mistake, but we'll just confirm it to be sure. Yeah, we'll find out. <sighs> How funny would that be? Yeah, I mean, because you already brought me a shirt that says, um, nothing can scare me, I have two daughters, or you can't scare <laughs> me. Yep. Something like that. No, I, I'm pretty sure it's a girl. Like, yeah. um, I'm pretty sure it's accurate because with the test that I took, I did the sneak peek test, if anybody knows what that is, it's an at-home blood kit that you send in via mail and then they analyze it in their lab and they tell you the results and the way they get the results is by detection of is it the y chromosome or is it x i can't remember which one's which y is boy y is boy yeah so it's looking for the y chromosome and so if you have a y chromosome it's a 50 percent chance that you either are having a son or you contaminated it with the male species in your home whether it's like a pet or a spouse or a child or whatever and i don't have germs so we didn't have to worry too much about that (laughs) i sanitized the crud out of the bathroom and my arm and my hands i washed my hands like seven times and uh yeah so that's why i'm saying i'm pretty sure it's accurate yeah anyways i believe it i'm happy about it yeah i'm fine with it nothing can scare you now you got two daughters nope (laughs) all right was there anything else you wanted to discuss before we move on no let's go ahead and get get working on before uh, harper wakes us up again mr evil knievel <laughs> all right so what do you know about evil knievel that he's a stuntman is it pretty much okay and his wife's name is linda you knew that yeah wow um from how i met your mother <laughs> <laughs> that's impressive <laughs> but yeah that other than like you know he was one of the most famous stuntmen in yeah history that that's really all i all i know that is accurate so we'll start from the beginning like normal he was born (laughs) robert craig knievel not evil what sorry oh yeah no his parents didn't name him evil yeah i was just kidding (laughs) robert craig knievel was born on october 17th 1938 he was born in butte montana but yep but montana (laughs) i had to type that out so many times (laughs) uh a year later his younger brother nicholas was born and a year after that their parents robert and Anne divorced and both decided to leave butte but leave the kids with the grandparents in butte so parents peaced out um robert and nicholas uh so robbie and nick were raised by their grandparents ignatius and emma knievel ignatius ignatius Thank you. You're welcome. I knew I was saying that wrong. I was like, that. there has to be. It's fine. It's fine. So it's fine. Ignatius and Emma Knievel in Butte, Montana. I like the way I pronounced it better. Jeez. But Oh, the name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's fast forward. When Robert was eight years old, he went to a Joey Chitwood auto daredevil show. That was his first time ever being introduced to any sort of daredevil, daredevil stuntman acts and needless to say it inspired a lot of what happens in his life um in 1956 when robert was 18 he dropped out of high school and started working in the copper mines he was a diamond drill operator but Mm. he preferred dirt biking rather than quote wasting his time with unimportant stuff like work in (laughs) school (laughs) man what a mindset (laughs) i mean isn't that what a lot of people think these days anyway it's like work is a waste of time we should spend more time with family right. and friends i agree but like i get that work's important but it's like 
it's the whole day and then you get <laughs> two days that you want to like one recharge from the from your crazy work week uh-huh and then one day to like spend time with family i'm like that's not enough like you're yeah. spending anyway I'll, i won't go into it no yeah well he had a good mindset but you also have to keep in mind he was still only 18 mm-hmm. so he was promoted at his work to earth duty where he drove a large earth move earth mover which i try to look up what that was um and basically it's just like an excavator or steer loader or anything like that like some sort of heavy equipment okay so he was just driving this big machine um one day <laughs> i don't know how he managed to do this but he managed to have this earth mover pop a wheelie of course it caused him to lose control of the machine and he drove it into the main power line for the entire city of butte (laughs) so the entire city lost power for several hours robbie was fired and was also arrested for reckless driving and because of that he spent a night in jail so he popped the wheelie on purpose no, he just was messing around yeah. and he popped a wheelie and lost control. Seems kind of weird to be arrested oh, for that, but... Yeah, no, I guess that what you're saying, like, yeah, he did it on purpose. Oh, okay. But not with the intention of, like, getting caught. Okay, I see what you mean. So he did it on purpose, drove it into the power line, got arrested for reckless driving, fired from his job because mm-hmm. <laughs> he literally caused the whole town to go dark for several hours. Um, And so, fun fact, while he was in jail, one of the other men that was in jail was William... Nuffle and or Nuffle and the cops gave him a nickname Awful Nuffle and so when Ravi went into the jail the cops started calling him Evil Knievel that's cool yeah <laughs> so I guess the cops there just literally like to rhyme the name so he thought it was catchy and he's like heck yeah call me Evil Knievel so that's I'll, kind of I'll where that started yeah. yeah so shortly after the incident Robert Robert <laughs> Robert or Robbie uh, started participating in local professional rodeos and ski jumping events. He ended up winning the Northern Rocky Mountain Ski Association Class A Men's Ski Jumping Championship. That was a mouthful. In 1959. Nice. So Good job, Robbie. You'll see in the next little bit that he just really wants to go out and have fun. And he finds a lot of different creative ways to do that. So the rodeo, skiing. He sounds like he's pretty talented, if that makes sense. Or at least coordinated. Mm-hmm. Um, but he still needed to be a responsible adult, so he ended up joining the army, um, where he joined the track team while he was there and became a, a pole vaulter. Uh, he didn't really like the army, so he left that after a few months. And after he left that same year, 1959, he married Linda Joan Bork. I'm impressed Linda. that you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I met your mother. <laughs> That's why I learned half my facts just kidding (laughs) (laughs) i mean you're probably not wrong so after getting married robert started up the butte bombers which was a semi-pro hockey team okay (laughs) this is so funny to raise money for the team he ended up convincing i i don't know how he does what he does but he ended up convincing the czechoslovakian olympic team to play his team as a practice round for the 1960 olympics that was happening later that year okay in california so he promised them money if he would if they would play his team. They came, played his team. During the third round, Robert got kicked out of the stadium for being an idiot. I don't know okay. exactly. Um, after the game, the Czechoslovakian officials went to the box office to collect the money that was promised, and they found out the receipts that he had submitted were all fake. 
Oh. And he had no money to give them. <laughs> oh, sneaky. But because they were an international Olympic team, the United States Olympic Committee ended up having to pay the promised amount just to avoid international, <laughs> like an incident internationally. <laughs> cool. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? That's really funny. <laughs> like, peace out. I-, I wonder if he got kicked out on purpose to avoid that. Maybe, Yeah. I don't know. But afterwards, he went to try out for the Charlotte Clippers, which was the team for the Eastern Hockey League. Um, But he decided that a traveling team was just not for him. So he ditched the whole hockey idea. In 1960, uh, Robbie and Linda welcomed their first son, Kelly. And at that point, Robbie realized he needed to actually support his family Mm -hmm. and quit messing around. So he started a business um, called Sir Kill Guide Service where he basically was hunting and he would guarantee a hunter uh that if he if the hunter employed him and paid his hunting fees that he would go and get a good kill for him like whatever he wanted a buck and elk or whatever um pretty smart idea yeah and then he said he had the guarantee that was like if if he couldn't get it then he just returned the money to them so it was like foolproof basically however during this time yellowstone was culling the elk which is basically like when they herd the elk to one area essentially um but it made it hard for hunters in other areas because they were losing all of their game Mm -hmm. and so he decided that he was going to hitchhike from butte to washington dc in december of 1961 to raise awareness for the issue hold on butte montana Mm -hmm. to washington dc yeah he decided to hitchhike the whole way he did he did what about his family just left them behind yep okay he was trying to raise money he was like this is my job you know and um i i don't know exactly like 1960s versus now how different hunting is but i would imagine it was more so at that time used for like meat and clothing and and things like that for families and so it wasn't just him that was suffering it was a lot of other hunters who were doing this for their families who were also losing out on this game mm-hmm. so um he went and presented his case uh in front of a few congressman whatever uh and then afterwards the culling stopped but he still wasn't making a very good profit so after he returned home he joined a motocross circuit where he was able to ride motorcycles and race for a profit and he had pretty good success um it still wasn't like great financially but it was better Mm -hmm. um until 1962 when he broke his collarbone and shoulder um and he was forced to stop racing for at least six months at that point, he switched careers to sell insurance, uh, and his boss with the insurance company, W. Clement Stone, encouraged him to read his own self-help book, which was Success Through Positive Mental Attitude. And uh, later in life, he actually claims that that book kind of propelled him through his career, mm-hmm. like things that he had read in it, and it also uh, is a reason for a lot of his later success, is what he says. Right. So that was pretty cool. He ended up being extremely successful with the insurance sales. So successful that he was like, I want to raise. I want a promotion. I want to be VP. And they were like, no, (laughs) like you just started working here. And he's like, all right, then I'm out. So he quit. Um, And then he moved his family out of Butte to Moses Lake, Washington. So while he was in Washington, he opened up a Honda motorcycle dealership and promoted motocross racing. Cool. The shop had issues staying open, however, because a lot of their parts came, um, were imported from Japan 
and there was already like a lot of business in that area that were competing against him mm-hmm. and people of course went for like more of the american made you know motocross vehicles things like that so he ended up having to close his shop down um but instead he hopped over to work for don pomeroy at his motorcycle <laughs> motorcycle shop in sunnyside washington and fun fact, Pomeroy's son, Jim Pomeroy, went on to compete in the motocross, blah, blah, motocross World Championship. And he is the person who taught Robert how to do a proper wheelie and ride while standing on the seat of his bike. Yeah, but then Robbie over here is just like, well, have you ever popped a wheelie on an excavator? <laughs> right. <laughs> He's like, this might be proper, but have you done this? <laughs> so who's the real winner here? <laughs> But yeah, he taught him how to to ride on a bike while standing on the seat. That's cool. Which sounds so dangerous. That sounds... Yeah, I mean, because motorcycles require a lot of balance. Yep. And anyway. Yeah. I don't know. I don't ride motorcycles. You won't let me. So. <laughs> now, after this story, I still won't let you. <laughs> okay. Enough. Oh, go ahead. I said fair enough. Yeah. Um, okay, so now that we've talked about his history... Let's talk about what has made him evil Knievel, okay? okay? So, he decided he wanted to start doing stunts. Like the one that he saw way back when he was eight years old. He actually rented the exact same venue where he once once watched Joey Chitwood do Daredevil stunts. Um, he set up the show. He sold his own tickets. He served as his own master of ceremonies. Basically, he hosted it. And in front of his first smallish crowd with the promise that he would let them try their own wheelies after the show. It's kind of how he enticed them. Mm-hmm. He jumped a 20 foot long box that contained rattlesnakes as well as a couple mountain lions. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> he barely made the jump though. His back wheel hit the box of rattlesnakes. But regardless, he was able to land safely and he walked away with only a sprained ankle. Other than that, he was unharmed. So that was kind of his first taste of jumping. And with the thrill of this jump behind him and the little money he had in hand, he decided to set out to find himself a sponsor and a crew of stunt performers and coordinators to help him kind of grow um, and get noticed. So his first sponsor was Bob Blair, who was the owner of ZDS Motors. Um, He offered to supply whatever motorcycles were needed, but he asked that instead of uh, Bobby calling the show Bobby Knievel and his motorcycle Daredevil's Thrill Show, he wanted it to be called Evil Knievel. Okay. So that's kind of Going his like. His... Yeah. How, how did he know about it though? Probably was brought up. I think okay. after his time in jail, it was kind of just a, a floating nickname. Okay. Evil Knievel. But I when see. he went professional, he's like, well, I'm Bobby Knievel, you know? He's like, no, 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 no. You're Evil Knievel. <laughs> um, the only hang up that Bobby had was that he didn't want to be confused with being a Hell's Angel ride writer mm-hmm. hell's angels writer so you know because they kind of have like that whole devil persona whatever so he agreed that he would be evil knievel but instead of spelling it e-v-i-l he spelled it e-v-e-l i was gonna ask about that because i know that he, his name wasn't spelled like evil mm-hmm. so i was i was wondering that but yeah okay, that, that clears it up so that's how that changed because it was always the nickname evil knievel mm-hmm. um you know, with the intention of it being E-V-I-L, but he didn't want to be confused. And so E-V-E-L rhymes perfectly with Knievel, which is the very last parts is E-V-E-L. Mm-hmm. So Knievel. So yeah. It's so like aesthetically probably looks better too. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah, and it just, it makes sense. So 
That's how all that happened. So Evil Knievel and his Daredevils debuted on January 3rd, 1966 at the National Date Festival in Indio, California. During that show, Evil Knievel successfully jumped over two pickup trucks spanning 40 feet. The second booking was in Hemet, California, but that was canceled due to rain, and their third performance was on February 10th in Barstow, California. During this performance, he was attempting to jump over a flying motorcycle with his legs spread eagle. So the motorcycle's coming to him. He was going to jump over it. Mm-hmm. However, he jumped a few seconds too late, and the motorcycle hit him in the groin. Oh, and it tossed oh, him. <laughs> oh, oh, darn. <laughs> <laughs> it tossed him 15 feet, and he was hospitalized with a groin injury. Ooh, that hurts me. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been hit in the groin with a flying motorcycle? No. Yeah. No, no, I have not. <laughs> After but it's being... like, sorry, like, it's like when men see or hear <laughs> an injury to the groin, you can, it's like a phantom pain almost. Like you can kind of feel it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's not it's not pleasant it makes you like cringe up and yeah anyway, i saw i saw your face when i said that yep yeah. <laughs> uh so he was hospitalized with a groin injury after being released from the hospital a month later he went back and successfully completed the stunt in the same arena so he went back and tried again could you imagine that happening? he's got to like perfect <laughs> it he's got to perfect it but the risk i just don't know if i would be brave enough a second time especially with that kind of pain yep <laughs> <laughs> um but it's like, if you knew where I went wrong, he's like, I can correct it next time. So like, I'll be fine. He was very like, confident. Yeah. Very confident. It's like, I get that aspect of it, but it's like, again, like you said, the risk behind it. Yeah. Like, uh, it's like, is it you, worth it? Would you really want to? Okay. So after this incident and other, like a few of the other crew people on his team had also suffered their own injuries, his team actually ended up breaking up because they were either like too afraid of getting injured again or just like didn't really want to be involved at that point Mm -hmm. um so he went on to start touring as evil knievel in a solo act for a while and he would go like from small town to small town most other daredevils at this time were making a name for themselves by jumping over live animals or large bodies of water um and he wanted to stand out so he stuck with doing vehicles because that was you know kind of brought in a little bit more danger with it being like huge metal objects underneath him um and then also he was unique for doing it so Mm -hmm. he started doing that uh and whenever he would return to a venue that he'd already like performed at he would be sure to add at least one more vehicle to like impress the crowd and keep them coming back for more uh and it worked they would come to see him again and again every time he would return thankfully he was able to avoid injury since the groin accident uh, June 19th, he was in Missoula, Montana. He attempted his first time to jump over 12 cars, but the distance for takeoff was not long enough and it didn't allow him to have enough momentum or speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he didn't quite make it. His back wheel hit the top of the last van while his front wheel hit the top of the landing ramp, which caused him to crash. He left with a severely broken arm and several broken ribs. So... How does that one make you feel? Not as bad? Not as bad, yeah. <laughs> like, you can, you can get over broken bones, but like that, the trauma from getting hit in the groin that hard. <laughs> that's... Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So although this crash was a very public, quote, windfall, Evil Knievel went right back to jumping the moment he was recovered. On March 25th, 1967, he successfully cleared 15 cars 
in Gardena, California. He attempted the same jump again on in July of that same year in Graham, Washington, but he fell short and suffered a concussion. A month after that, he returned to redeem himself for failing the second time, uh, but he fell short once more and suffered two broken ribs, a broken wrist, and a broken knee. Ouch. Yep. So this was the start of his career. Let's talk about some of the more notable jumps that kind of put him in the spotlight, right? Okay. So at the age of 29, it was November 1967, uh, Robbie went to Las Vegas to watch a really famous boxing match starring Dick Tiger. While he was there, he saw for the first time in his life, Caesar's Palace and the fountains. And he decided he wanted to jump the fountains. <laughs> So, Imagine having that mindset, like you have this career and it's like, I could jump that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could do it. I could jump that. <laughs> There's your title. I could jump that. <laughs> there you go. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, so in order to get the attention of the CEO of Caesar's Palace, he created a fake company <laughs> called Evil Knievel Enterprises. He also created three fake lawyers to call on his behalf to the CEO. Uh, his name was Jay Sarno. And he also placed phone calls himself, claiming to be from ABC Network uh, and Sports Illustrated, inquiring about the jump, saying like, hey, I heard this is happening, you know, give us details. And so finally, Jay Sarno was like, all right, whatever, you can do it. And Evil tried to get ABC to air it live. Mm -hmm. And they were like, okay, we'll, we'll do it on two conditions. We won't do it live, but we'll do it later as long as it gets traction and it's a good jump. And so let me just spoil it for you they never end up airing the video okay because <laughs> he didn't make it so with his own money he hired actor slash director john derrick to produce a film of his jump and he employed his own wife to film it linda which she did so the morning of the jump he went to a casino and threw his last hundred dollars on the jackpot table and lost then he stopped at the bar for a shot of wild turkey and then went from there to the stage with caesar's staff and two showgirls he warmed up with some pre-show jumps and then headed to the takeoff ramp. After hitting the ramp, his bike suddenly lost momentum and power, but it was too late to stop. He jumped and landed short, hitting the ramp where he was supposed to land. He was ripped away from his handlebars and flowed onto the pavement where he skidded to a stop in the Dunes Hotel parking lot. How At, far away is that? I am not sure. Okay. It might have been next door. Okay. I don't actually know. Me neither. However, this was a near fatal crash he suffered a crushed pelvis and femur fractures to his hips wrists and both ankles a concussion that kept him in the hospital for about a month um there were actually rumors circulating that he was in a coma for 29 days but mm -hmm. his family later came out and said that was false um but he was in a recovery for a very long time almost lost his life from this so like i said abc never showed the footage um because i mean like a broken femur alone doesn't don't they say that like that's the most pain that human can experience? I've heard that. Mm -hmm. Yep, and he had a crushed femur and pelvis. I mean, that's like a thick bone. Like anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So despite this happening, this crash caused him to be the most famous he had ever been at this point. So he's broken. It took about five months for him to fully recover. Mm -hmm. But as soon as he did, he started. Let's jumping. go again. <laughs> Right again. And I'll go back and talk about some of his smaller jumps, but I'm going to go back into a next to the next one that is pretty big. 
he received his first national exposure on March 18th, 1968, when he was invited to be on the Joey Bishop late night show. Um, so his first time like on television mm-hmm. in like a talk show setting. Uh, so people starting to figure out who he is. Um, and at this point, rumors started to float around that he was going to jump the Grand Canyon. <laughs> and he did want to, but it I took... Could, I could jump that. <laughs> It took years of deliberation and negotiation with the Arizona government to allow him to jump Mm -hmm. um, and to secure a jump site. And ultimately, they decided not to let him. Um, But he said in an interview, quote, I don't care if they say, look, kid, you're going to dive into that thing uh, right off the edge of the canyon and die. I'm going to do it. I want to be the first. If they let me go to the moon, I'd crawl all the way to Cape Kennedy just to do it. I'd like to go to the moon, but I don't want to be the second man to go, end quote. So not only did he want to accomplish it, he wanted to be the first to accomplish it mm-hmm. and leave those records on humanity. What year was this? 68. When was the first moon launch? Hold, please. I'm trying to figure out if like he was actually meaning that figuratively or... Because it, it was in the, the 60s. The first moon launch was 69. Okay. Yeah, the first moon landing was in 1969. Okay, so he's like, okay, cool. Yeah, so... Because that was like the time of the big space race. Uh-huh. So that's what he's saying, and I don't think he intentionally... I don't think he was actually saying he would go to the moon. I know, like, I'm, I'm just saying like... Yeah, and, anyway, mm-hmm. uh, it was just one of those things. It's like, I wonder if people had already gone to the moon at that point. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, no, they hadn't before when he said this, uh, this quote. Um, anyways, like I said, he was denied airspace by the interior, interior department of the government of Arizona. So he switched his focus to jump the Snake River Canyon in Southern Idaho uh, instead. Fun fact though, uh, his son ended up jumping the Grand Canyon in 1999. Nice. Uh, but he jumped in a section that was owned by an Indian reservation Mm -hmm. nearby. So he didn't have to go through the government officials to get approval sneaky (laughs) yeah so he ended which i thought that was pretty cool he ended up doing that before i talk about the snake river jump i want to talk about some of the other ideas that he had because he wanted something that was going to be as equally impressive as the grand canyon Mm -hmm. here we go so some of his ideas that he had to kind of one up the uh grand canyon jump that wasn't gonna happen was jumping across the Mississippi River, jumping from one skyscraper to another in New York City, jumping over 13 cars inside of the Houston Astrodome. Um, those are just some of his his ideas. But mm-hmm. then eventually he flew over, on his way back from a performance, he flew over the Snake River Canyon and was like, that actually would be a pretty good equivalent. I, so I could jump that. Yeah, <laughs> I could jump that. <laughs> <laughs> so he decided at this point to hire aeronautical engineer doug malawicki not sure how to say that um he hired him to build him a rocker oh my gosh he hired him to build a rocket powered cycle to jump across the snake river so more than just a motorcycle Mm -hmm. um the first prototype was called sky cycle x1 which was uh, powered by a steam engine and on april 15th the x1 was launched to test the feasibility off the launching ramp and it failed and landed in the river 
Um, and then they did a second round with the Sky Cycle X2, which also failed and landed in the river. <laughs> I don't know how many they went through before they found one that was feasible, they, but they decided in September of 1974 that it was time to do the jump. Okay. So, 1974 comes September. They're at the south rim of the Snake River Canyon. Uh, Robbie is set to make his jump, and he is harnessed to the bike with a parachute that was permanently deployed. Um, and they knew it was going to cause significant drag, but it also wasn't enough drag to, like, prohibit him from jumping. Mm-hmm. But it also could prohibit him from landing perfectly safe. But also, if he were to fall in, it would help him to not die. <laughs> so they decided that the the risks and the cons, you know, they decided it was worth it like to do the, it this way. What's the saying? Pros outweigh the cons. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. It is. I think that's yeah. what I was trying to say. <laughs> But so um, he he makes the jump. He made it all the way across the canyon to the north rim. Mm-hmm. After he landed, he was caught in a rush of wind that blew him back off the edge <laughs> and down to the bottom of the canyon. Unlucky. He landed just feet away from the river down there. And if he had been pulled in, he would have drowned. Because there was a malfunction on his harness that wouldn't release, and he was strapped to his bike, and he Mm -hmm. couldn't get out. Um, Thankfully, though, because he didn't land in the water and he did have the parachute, he walked away with minimal injuries. So, lucky for him that Mm -hmm. way, but it was also considered an unsuccessful jump because of that, because his official landing was down at the bottom. Mm -hmm. So... After this jump, which was really famous and broadcast everywhere, actually, they made a movie about Evil Knievel, and this jump specifically is, like, one of the very last scenes in the entire movie. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they showed him falling back down into the canyon, but from what I've heard is that that's, like, his glory moment in this movie. Um, And if you look at pictures of him, you'll see a lot of things about that jump. So it was a pretty big deal. However, afterwards, he decided to go back to just racing on or jumping on motorcycles. Um, And so on May 26, 1975, in front of a crowd of 90,000 people, he attempted to jump over 13 AEC single-decker Merlin buses or London buses while he was in Wembley Stadium in London. Um, (laughs) Apparently, a lot of people have always confused it with like the double decker London buses, but mm-hmm. it's like I guess pretty important to know it was only single decker, but it was still a failed attempt. <laughs> he crashed and he broke his pelvis. And before leaving the stadium, he told the crowd, ladies and gentlemen of this wonderful country, I've got to tell you that you are the last people in the world who will ever see me jump because I will never, ever, ever jump again. I'm through. He then refused to get on the stretcher Stating, I came in walking, I went out walking. End quote. His pride was on the line. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, after so many failed attempts, he's probably like, oh, maybe I can't go anywhere with this. So these, I want to point out, these are the more noto- notable jumps. Right. He had plenty in between that were successful. And I'll talk about a few of them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he'd been doing this now for six or seven years. And how many times has he broken his body? <laughs> too many his pelvis his poor pelvis (laughs) yep so he said he was done however five months later on october in october of 1975 he decided that he had spoken too soon and he (laughs) decided to jump again 
This time, he jumped over 14 Greyhound buses in Ohio. He landed safely on the 14th bus, and this jump held the record for jumping the most buses on a Harley-Davidson for 24 years. Um, it was broken in 1999 by Bubba Blackwell, who jumped 15. After this jump with the 14 Greyhound buses, he announced his retirement again. But of course, <laughs> that was also short-lived because in 1977, he was scheduled to jump in Chicago, Illinois after being inspired by the 1975 film Jaws. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I want to jump a shark this time. <laughs> Good thing you started. I thought that was the most random thing ever and so i'm glad that you thought that was funny so i was like what i'm telling you this guy has this mindset it's like i could jump that it's like he sees something i could jump that uh, anyway i'm sorry it's okay. so this event was meant to be televised nationally where he was supposed to jump over a shark tank full of live sharks um during the rehearsal, <laughs> during the rehearsal, however, he lost control of his motorcycle, which caused him to crash into one of the cameramen. Oof. Uh, Robbie suffered a broken arm, but he was practically distraught that he had hurt the cameraman. Mm -hmm. The cameraman suffered an eye injury, and Evil Knievel was just beside himself that he had caused permanent injuries to this guy, and he vowed he would never touch a bike again. He was so, so, so sorry. We did find out later that the cameraman, um, he did receive injury in his eye, but it wasn't permanent. They okay. were able to treat it, and he was okay. But Evil probably didn't know that at the time. Yeah, of course, yeah. He was actually so upset by this, he, of course, didn't actually do the real jump. And the video they have of him crashing into mm -hmm. the cameraman, he would not let that clip be shown for 19 years. Wow. Mm -hmm. And it was finally shown for the first time. Um, in the documentary, Absolutely Evil, The Evil Knievel Story. So, yeah, that one really hurt him. Because mm -hmm. I'll talk about this later, but he was a genuinely a good person. Um, well, I mean, that's also up for debate. We can talk about that later. <laughs> but okay. I, I think he was a good person. Um, and so just knowing that, like, this was the first time that he'd actually caused injury to someone else. And he was like, I'm never doing this again. Mm -hmm. Never, ever, ever. After this event, he uh, he did retire for good for from major performances. Um, he limited his appearances to smaller venues when he did perform. Um, and his son, like I had mentioned before, took after took the role after him, basically, like kind of took over. Mm -hmm. um, and so while he was launching his career, uh, Robbie would go to his performances and do like small stunts and stuff up until march of 1980 which was the last time he did like a stunt during a, sh a show and then he toured with his son for about a year afterwards where he would only speak at the events and let his son do all of the stunts um and his final tour appearance was was with his son robbie in 1981 in hollywood florida so yeah i did mention that i was going to talk about some of the smaller jumps that he had made some of the more successful ones but also these ones have a lot of broken bones in them so let's talk about it okay so let's go back to caesar's palace the crash that almost killed him mm -hmm. it took him five months to recover but on may 25th 1968 he attempted to jump 15 ford mustangs he crashed and broke his right leg and right foot 
Those poor Mustangs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I keep apologizing. It's okay. <laughs> On October 13th of that same year, 1968, he made a nearly successful jump, sticking the landing. However, he lost control after he landed, crashed, and broke his hip. Hmm. Uh, in May of 1970, so a little while later, he crashed while attempting to jump 13 Pepsi delivery trucks in Yakima, Washington. He crashed and broke both of his legs, his collarbone, and he suffered a compound fracture to his right arm. In February 1971, he broke a record by jumping 19 cars on a Harley-Davidson in Ontario, California. No broken bones that time. That one's just a cool broken record. Good job, Evil. But I'm broken, broken. (laughs) No broken (laughs) bones, but there were broken records. In March 1972, he successfully made a jump, but the landing area was too short. So an attempt to stop the crash or stop from crashing, he jumped off his bike, which crashed over him. <laughs> so basically pointless. <laughs> uh, and because of that, he broke his back, suffered a concussion after it ran over him and suffered a concussion after it ran over him, blah, blah, blah. And then in November of 1973, he successfully jumped over 50 stacked cars in Los Angeles. He held that record of jumping over the most stacked cars for over 35 years until the record was broken in October of 2008. Those were some of the smaller but also noteworthy jumps. Um, He did have some successful jumps where he had jumped eight cars, 12 cars. I think one of his most consistent acts was 13 cars that he would jump. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole, like, you could literally Google a list of all of his jumps and it'll tell you, like, successful, broken arm, successful, successful, like, you know, it'll go through. Um, but those ones are some of the more notable ones. So, yeah. Any comments before I move on? Nope, you're good. So let's talk about some of the fun facts about Evil Knievel. One of his Harley Davidson bikes is on display at the Smithsonian. Wow. Mm-hmm. Each show for probably about four years was bringing him a profit of around $25,000 per show. Dang. If you Dang. deduct the medical bills. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just kidding. I was going to say, like, I, I, I was going to say this before as well. Like, I hope he has good medical insurance. Oh, speaking of, after the Caesar Palace jump, mm-hmm. he actually had, like, an interview where he talked about how nobody wanted to insure him because... <laughs> like nobody wanted to give him life insurance so we want to give him accident hospitalization insurance mm-hmm. car insurance automobiles like nothing um he even said that there was one company that rejected him 37 times wow and that same company years later offered to give him liability insurance for like one million dollars mm-hmm. and he was like nah <laughs> so he went with like a different company within the u.s or something but yeah, that was something that had happened as he struggled getting insurance, as you could imagine. Yeah. I wonder what that's like today. What? Like being dirt. a stuntman trying to get. Yeah. I don't know. Stuntman insurance. I'm I'm sure they have some kind of program set up for for them. I don't know, because a lot of them are sponsored anyway, so there's probably mm-hmm. the sponsors that do it. But what do I know? I'm not a stuntman. Yeah. Same. Uh, another fun fact. During his career, it was, uh, I guess, counted that he had over 433 bone fractures, which would earn him an entry in the Guinness Book World Guinness Book of World Records as the survivor of most bones broken in a lifetime. However, his son Robbie claims that, that number is wildly exaggerating, stating that his dad only broke around 50 bones. 
And Evil Knievel himself claims that he only broke 35. Okay. But it's like, weren't those bones also broken repeatedly? Yeah. <laughs> and some of them had multiple fractures. So it's like, depending on how you count it, he probably did have 433. I'm sure. Because he had like a shattered femur. It's like, how many of those breaks are you counting? Right. You know, who's to say? Up to interpretation. But if you Google it, 40, 433 is the number that you'll find. But that's up for debate, I guess. Another one is that I've mentioned this. He was adamantly known for keeping his word. So like if he promised he would make a jump, he was going to make a jump, which is why sometimes he had multiple attempts even after failing a mm-hmm. few times. He also regularly encouraged his fans to wear, wear helmets after riding a motorcycle or while riding a motorcycle. Um, and he was a pretty big anti-drug activist of some sorts. Like he would do rallies for anti-drug movements, things like that. Mm-hmm. Another fun fact about him is that he was pretty well known for the jumpsuits that he wore while he was performing. He had kind of embodied an Elvis style jumpsuit and his first ever jumpsuit was black and yellow. Uh, And then eventually he switched over to the more iconic white jumpsuit. Okay. I was going to say like the red, white, and blue kind of stuff. Yeah. So that one came a little bit later. He uh, initially, when he went to white, it was like white with some, I think it was blue stripes. Uh, And then he added like an X across the chest and then he turned it into the iconic red, white, and blue like the stripes of the flag, the stars, mm-hmm. the things like that. So like what you think of when you think of evil could evil, which became a signature look, but yeah. yeah. So that's another fun fact. Another fun fact, which is why this one's not as fun. <laughs> this is why I say his character might be up for debate is after the Caesar palace jump. Oh no, no, just kidding. After the snake river jump, a book or a comic book or something was made about him. And in this comic book, he was depicted as, like, a wife beater and a child beater. Mm. That he was, like, abusing his wife and kids. Uh, and he took that too personally. And he went to the home of the producer of the magazine and beat them almost to death. Holy. With a baseball bat. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So um, he and a couple friends went and did that. And so they also threatened to sue. This person ended up in the hospital... They should have started with the lawsuit first. Yeah. Because <laughs> no, mean, really. Because I mean, that guy could just turn around and like sue them for um, beating him up. And he did. He did. Okay. Um. Let me find exactly where it is in here, because I didn't write down notes for it. So this is coming straight from Wikipedia. So it basically, essentially, he beat this person with a bat. Uh, the person suffered like basically a shattered arm, and. Uh, was in the hospital for a while recovering and uh, because of the assault and threatening to sue the publisher did withdraw the book the comic book from being ever released Uh, so he won that but he did come around and sue Knievel for assaulting him Mm -hmm. and he won uh, so Knievel pleaded guilty to battery and was sentenced to three years probation and six months in county jail. And this was in 1977. And because of all of this that happened, his sponsors, which was like Harley Davidson, and there was like a toy deal and like all these things, they all withdrew their sponsorship. Um, and the guy who was assaulted, his last name was Saltman. So Saltman received or he was awarded 13 million. Wow. From Knievel. However, he claims that he's never received any money from Knievel or Knievel's estate. So, but because of all this, him losing the sponsorship, him losing this trial, 
he had to declare bankruptcy. So he was broke, (laughs) even though all of the money he had made previously, like, because he made this mistake and literally beat someone almost to death, like, it lost him pretty much everything. So that's why I say his character was up for debate. That was towards the end of his career. Um, Yada, yada, yada. So going back to more facts about him, he was married twice. He and Linda were married for 38 years. They had four children, Kelly and Robbie, who were his sons, and then two daughters, Tracy and Alicia. Both sons performed at his events as children, but Robbie is the only one that went on to do it in adulthood and take on the legacy. However, Kelly oversees a lot of the legal side of the Knievel estate business, Mm -hmm. so he's still involved, just not like in the actual stunts. His second wife he married in 1999. Her name was Crystal Kennedy. They divorced two years later. However, they reconciled their differences and lived together until his death. So even though they were divorced. Um, And another fact, he left his entire estate to Crystal in his will. Not to his other family? Guess not. (laughs) Okay. Um, After retiring from being a daredevil, he sold works of art around the country that allegedly he painted himself. He also made some significant marketing comebacks in the 1990s. So several years, like 15 years-ish after the trial where he went bankrupt and everything, um, he started kind of getting reputation again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he started marketing comebacks with Maxim Casinos, Little Caesars, Harley Davidson, a few other firms. They started representing him again and he started doing deals with them. Um, And then in 1999, during the celebration of the 25th anniversary of Snake River Jump, he was inducted into the Motorcycle Hall of Fame. He went on to create, or he wanted to create his own museum about his life, but he was never able to fulfill that dream. Um, Instead, different parts of his life, different artifacts have been sent to various museums throughout the country. Like the Smithsonian. Yep, like the Smithsonian. The blueprints to his museum that he wanted to build are on display um, in the Route 66 Vintage Iron Motorcycle Museum in downtown Miami, Oklahoma. Uh, a museum eventually did open up in his honor, the Evil Knievel Museum in Topeka, Kansas, which has the official approval of the Knievel Estates. Um, getting close to the end here. On October 9th, 2005, he scheduled his last public motorcycle ride at the Milwaukee Harley-Davidson dealership to benefit victims of Hurricane Katrina. However, before the event, he suffered a mild stroke and was unable to attend. A little rough. Another fact that I did not realize was that in the early 1990s, he started to have liver failure. Uh, And so he received blood transfusions and one transfusion ended up giving him hepatitis C, which caused his health to spiral even faster um, to a point where in 1999, he was told he had a few days left to live, like days um after being hospitalized so he requested to be released from the hospital so he could die at home while he was driving home his doctor called him and told him that a young man had just died in a car or a motorcycle accident and he was eligible to be a donor and a few days later evil knievel received that transplant which saved his life for a few more years on April 1st, 2007, Evil Knievel decided to give his life to Jesus. <laughs> he was baptized at a televised congregation at the Crystal Cathedral. His televised testimony triggered a mass baptismal event for that year. Naturally. <laughs> On November 30th, 2007, at the age of 69, Robert Craig Knievel, or Evil Knievel, passed away. He had been struggling with breathing for a while and finally decided it was t- time to head to the hospital. 
However, he passed away in the car on the way to the Mm. hospital. A friend of his had said that, quote, it's been coming for years, but you just don't expect it. Superman doesn't die, right? End quote. Uh, In one of his last interviews, Evil Knievel told Maxim Magazine, quote, You can't ask a guy like me why I performed. I really wanted to fly through the air. I was a daredevil, a performer. I loved the thrill, the money, the whole macho thing. All those things made me Evil Knievel. Sure, I was scared. You gotta be... (laughs) You gotta be an ass not to be scared. Excuse my French, I'm quoting. Um, But I beat the hell out of death. You are in the air for four seconds. You're part of the machine. And then you make a mistake midair and you say to yourself, oh boy, I'm going to crash. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. Not at all. End quote. Again, sorry. <laughs> Great. For those now we have to you. mock the episode as explicit. <laughs> that was a minor swear word, but it was evil Knievel saying it. I was just quoting <laughs> it. Okay. <sighs> Anyways, um, evil Knievel was buried at the Mountain View Cemetery in his hometown of Butte, Montana on December 10th, 2007, following a funeral at the 7,500-seat Butte Civic Center, which was filled to capacity. <laughs> um, fun fact about his funeral, Matthew McConaughey gave the eulogy. Matthew McConaughey. Yep. <laughs> okay. Before the Monday service, fireworks exploded in the Butte night sky as pallbearers carried Keneal's casket into the center. And that is the magnificent story of Evil Knievel. Whew, that was a you lot. Good? <laughs> <laughs> I know I kind of like rushed through that, but there was so much I wanted to talk about it all. I could jump that. I could jump that. <laughs> That's what she said. Oh, okay. Just kidding. Well, thank you. That was um <laughs> I definitely don't want to be a, a, a dead devil. I'm good. I'm good with broken bones. I got a cut the other day on my finger and that's enough pain for me for the year. <laughs> what'd you think it was it was good it was eye-opening about him now i know more about him other than his name his, and his wife's his name. career and his <laughs> wife's name <laughs> yeah he's an interesting guy i thought his life was super cool to read about yeah. um there were so many things that i thought were so random like jumping over a shark tank <laughs> i could jump that <laughs> Him declaring um, retirement three or four different times. You're never going to see me jump again. Six months later, jumping again. Okay, this was the last time. Five months later. Okay, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) This time I heard a guy. Now I'm really done. (laughs) And then Matthew McConaughey speaking at his funeral. Yeah. Fireworks going off as he's being... If you could pick anyone in the world to speak at your funeral, who would it be? Zach Efron. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Okay. Let me call him up real quick. My mind was like, oh, celebrity crush. <laughs> oh, man, that's so funny. You still need to watch that Baywatch movie. I do. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. You like it? That's all right. <laughs> um, I don't know. Who would you have? I don't know. I well, don't know. That's a good question. I didn't even think about my answer before I asked you <laughs> to answer it. Realistically, so. if you're still alive, you. I probably won't be. But Or our children. Yeah, children would be good. Harper, all you sis. Let's not talk about death anymore. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do you ever have those dreams where you're falling and you just like have that moment where you just feel sudden doom and you're like, well, this is it for me. I have accepted my fate. And then you like 
shake awake. You know, yes. Mm-hmm. Like a little jolt. Yeah. I can mm-hmm. only imagine that that's what he feels, but instead of the little jolt, he crashes and gets hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Breaks his pelvis. Well, that was good timing. Mm-hmm. Well, Harper is awake now, so we got to go get here. Go get her. So, to close up, thanks for listening to the episode. <laughs> Don't forget to uh, follow us on social media. Like and subscribe. Mm-hmm. Tell your friends. Give us a shout. Also, if you have anything you want us to share, send it into podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And then we will see you in the next episode. Do you have any advice for me? Oh, um... You can totally <laughs> she hear is, her. She's calling me. <laughs> Put a tea bag in your whiskey so you can day drink without being judged. There you go. <laughs> All right, everyone. Bye. Bye.